Hello and welcome to the latest instalment of Castle Rock Critical. We are a branch of Fan Critical dedicated to discussing all things Stephen King. Woo! Woohoo! Regular listeners will know we're currently covering Castle Rock, the anthology series which is inspired by Stephen King's work. We're taking a brief break from that today to discuss the film adaptation of King's 2013 sequel to The Shining, Doctor Sleep. I'm joined today, of course, by Miss Emma. Hello! Emma, we've both read the book. What yeah. were your expectations going into the film? Um, so, well, you actually recommended the book to me, Lucy. I did. Um, and I, I bloody loved it. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I I was really unsure how they were going to tackle this because, obviously, like Kubrick's The Shining is a... It's a slightly... What's the word? Different approach to King. And, and King famously didn't yeah. like the way they adapted um the the book into a film but of course it is a classic um so i was really looking forward to seeing i was looking forward to seeing what um what we'd get from from the actors uh you know it's quite an interesting cast mm. um especially ewan mcgregor i wasn't quite sure how he would play danny yeah. um, but i was excited and, and looking forward to seeing what they do with it um so there were relatively high expectations um and i'll leave my opinions when you ask for them yes um and you enjoyed the book i i love the book i oh, yeah, i'd read the shining um um, year before last, I think, for the first time. Yeah. And then I, then you recommended Dot Sleep and I read it almost immediately afterwards and I just loved being embroiled in that world. Mm. Um, I, I thought it was fantastic. It's fascinating. There are some bits in there that are a bit hinky, but mostly <laughs> it's a... Hinky. Hinky. It's a new and one. Mostly it's a brilliant book. I mean, you recommended it to me, so you obviously liked it, right? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a lot easier to read. Maybe I read The Shining when I was a lot younger, so I probably didn't really get it. I feel like Doctor Sleep was a lot easier to access, potentially because we already have the backstory. So I don't Maybe, know. Maybe, yeah. I can't remove that knowledge from my experience of reading it. But yeah, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm surprised it's taken them this long to make a film, but then at the same time, it's not the easiest thing to adapt, like a lot of his work. But yeah, I did. I um, I enjoyed the book. And we'll discuss the film. So that we will. I would like because we are doing an adaptation um, review. I would like your blueberries on the book and the film. Oh, okay. And if you don't mind, if you could just briefly explain to our listeners who are maybe new to this, what the blueberry scale is, what it entails. Absolutely. Uh, so the blueberry system is very simple. Uh, if you have never listened to a fan critical or castle rock critical podcast, uh, then here is how it works. We rate everything on a scale of zero to five blueberries. Zero is the worst and five is the best. Yep. Um, and there can be no halves because that's just nonsense. Can't halve a blueberry. You cannot or you should not be halving any blueberries. Uh, so that makes it a relatively... Um, harsh but fair scale yes um i so this is i've been thinking about this since we went to the cinema um earlier this week about like what i'd rate both the book and the film and um remembering how much i enjoyed reading the book i think for me it's probably in the top five stephen king novels oh wow um and i'm not including short stories in this because it's a slightly different kind of thing Mm. um or or novellas uh so I, i think for me the book is a four bloop Okay, which is yes. pretty strong. Um, the film I, I've I've flip flopped about this one. We haven't done that in a while, have we? No. Flip flopping. Um, but I I actually think it's um, it's on an equal level with the okay. book, but for different reasons. So you kind of have to take the film very much as um, an, a sequel to two things: a sequel to King's book and Kubrick's adaptation. Yes, I mean the adaptation 
hangs very heavily over this adaptation. Yes. The adaptation of The Shining hangs very heavily over this adaptation. And I kind of feel like it has to, because anyone who's going to go and see, well, 50% of people who are going to go and see Doctor Sleep have probably never even read Doctor Sleep, but no. they love The Shining. Exactly. And I think if you're going to do a, a, an adaptation of a sequel to The Shining, you have to honour what Kubrick did with that film. Um, and in that respect, um, I'd give the film four blueberries as well. Okay. What about you, Luce? Um, I agree with book-wise, I would give it a four as well. Um, I think you've said everything I need to say about the book. I really enjoyed it. It's not scary as such. I mean, there are scary parts. It's mm. more, it's story-based, which is what I really liked. And the film captured that really well. Now, the film, I'm going to give it three. But three is kind of take it getting a bit of a bad name these days. I think because we are ad- we are reviewing TV shows so much, three is quite average. Whereas in terms of film, for me, three is actually still quite good. Yeah, I agree. Um, I can't really explain why there's a distinction there. Well, I think also if you think is. about the blueberry scale, three is above halfway. Yeah. So it's above average. Better than average. But yeah. I think when we haven't enjoyed a TV, an episode, we'll be like, mm. oh, it's a three. I really, I did really enjoy the film. It was too long for me, um, and I think that's what's lost it. It's bloob. I think, unfortunately, and this is a shout out to any directors or producers or screenwriters in the world who may un- unlikely listen to this podcast. Ninety minute films, please. Yeah, two hours maximum. Two 90 hours minutes. has to be the max. Yeah, two Unless hours and forty minutes is long. Yeah, it's too and it's too long because there were parts when I thought that could have gone, that could have gone, didn't yeah. do that, and you don't really want to be doing that in a film. But it was a decent film and I enjoyed it and it caught, it captured my imagination and kept my attention throughout. It's just at the end, yeah, and we'll get on to the ending at the end of the podcast. That we shall. Okay, well, thank you for your rating. Um, before we get stuck into the plot overview, it's time for a quick advert break. Oh. Okay, so as we head into the festive season, we are ramping up the content here at Fan Critical Headquarters to keep you warm on these cold winter nights. It has been freezing here in the UK. Yep, chuffing cold. I'm sure it's probably colder in America, but and in Europe, there's a weather bomb apparently. So shout out to European fans, stay warm, stay safe. Um, we're continuing our coverage of Castle Rock, which you can catch on our Castle Rock Critical channel or on our Fan Critical Home channel. Um, we're well. We're enjoying that on various different levels. I think it's a roller coaster. Yeah, it's a rocky roller coaster. Yeah, you don't you never know what's going to happen next. Um, and elsewhere, Len, Gaz, and John are covering Watchmen in the Watchmen Watchers. Tongue twister. And you can listen to that by a fan critical or by subscribing to the Watchmen Watchers channel. Cool, that's a mouthful, isn't it? It is a bit. It's. Mm. A, I might just call them TWW. Double W, God. Um, We're also going to have some festive fun coming up, including a listener commission podcast where we'll be discussing the Christmas, Christmas, Christmas classic, The Grinch. Woo! So if you like Christmas, or if you don't like Christmas because The Grinch doesn't, tune into that. Um, And if you like the sound of commissioning us to discuss a film of your choosing, there is a way. We have a loyal band of Patreons who get access to bonus podcasts and there is the opportunity to have a monthly chat with us or even feature on a podcast with us. Amazing! You know, if you stump up enough cash, you can get pretty much anything Yep, on Money the podcast does market. Pay. Money does get you anything you want. It does. So if you head over to patreon.com forward slash fancritical, you can have more information. And if you sign up, if you can, if you can spare a few dollars a month, we really appreciate it. As ever, we are active on all the socials, so you can chat with us at, at fancriticalpod.com on Twitter, Fan Critical on Facebook, and 
at fan underscore critical on Instagram. And you can also email us at fancriticalpod at gmail.com. We love to hear your comments and we use them in our shows. We certainly do. You can get your feedback featured on uh, the, the relevant podcast if you let us know what you think. Yep, so please do. And now, on with the show. Let this be the advance warning that what follows will be spoiler heavy for both the film and the book. So if you haven't seen Red either and would like to remain unspoiled, turn off now. If you haven't seen the film, I'm not sure why you're listening, but... To be honest, uh, yeah, that'd be nonsense. We welcome um, all, but it doesn't hello, make any sense. Goodbye. Yeah, so we are going to be spoiling the film and we're going to be commenting on book differences. So you have been warned. So film-wise, we open in 1980, sometime after escaping the Overlook Hotel. Danny Torrance and his mother Wendy are living in Florida. Scarred by his experiences, Danny is haunted by one of its ghosts. The rotting woman of room 237. Pretty sure this is 217 in the book. It is. So what, it why is. Have they um, that? I have no idea. Uh, I remember talking about this when we did the Shining review. Go and listen to that. It's brilliant. Yeah. Um, and I think it was just a random choice by Kubrick. I have no idea what the significance of it was. But yes, it is 217 in the book. So it's weird that now they have to keep with the film, which mm. got it wrong. Anyway, um, through The Shining, the ghost of Dick Halloran teaches him to lock such ghosts in imaginary boxes in his mind. Da, 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 da. Meanwhile, we encounter the true knot, led by Rose the Hat, played by Rebecca Ferguson, a cult of quasi-immortal psychic vampires nice. who feed on, quote-unquote, steam, a psychic essence produced in the dying moments of people with The Shining ability to slow their ageing. We witness Rose use so-called magic to befriend a young girl named Violet, who is played by Violet McGraw, who horror fans may remember as young Nora in The Haunting of Hill House, which was also directed by Mike Flanagan. Yes, nice spot. She was very good in that show. Not I've not watched it yet because um, I live alone and I get freaked out. Don't watch it, it's quite scary. Okay, that's a no Her fate is unknown, but the missing posters we see shortly after are a good indication that she has met harm at the hands of the true knot. So how did this grab you as an opening, Emma? I loved it. Yeah. Um, I'll be honest it felt it felt like I'd fallen straight back into what I remembered about Doctor Sleep and um, it was Rebecca Ferguson absolutely nailed Rose yes. the Hat like I thought she was brilliant already that opening scene with um, with Little Violet and, and all of the, the flowers and everybody appearing up on the like, edge of the woods well, it's done yeah, really well every time it's, the camera goes back there's more of them yeah and I think and I think I well, so we went to see this together I think I, I turned to you and I was like it's good. Yeah. I don't know, we're only five minutes in, but um but it but it was good and I think you're already falling back into the world of, of King very quickly. It felt very King Ian. Yeah. Um it was really nicely styled and, and I liked the John would have hated it. We had a bit of a time stamp on there. We did. Yeah. <laughs> it's nineteen eighty. Um and um, and I liked seeing, you know, Danny and Wendy. Yeah, I mean I think it was definitely done. It was a good setup for the fact that you know, young Danny's still haunted by these visions from the Overlook and Dick Halloran is helping him lock it away, which is going to be useful for the, the future. And we're also, it's a good introduction to the true knot. Mm. And it is, uh, you know, that locking the, the ghosts into boxes in his mind is accurate to, uh, to the yeah, book. Yeah, so I thought that was a good sort of representation of how it all goes down in the book from my memory um i don't think i've i read it i think in 2014 so it's five years ago but certain aspects of it are you know they i remember them yeah they really stick how bad they they were um so now we're in not not so much present day but 2011 
Danny, now going by Dan, played by Hugh McGregor, is still traumatised by his time at the Overlook, unsurprisingly, and has become an alcoholic to suppress his shining. Again, unsurprisingly. Yep, can't really blame him. Generational trauma, we call that. (laughs) Um, He hooks up with a young woman who appears to have stolen his money. When he attempts to steal her money in return, Dick Halloran reappears to dissuade him, and he becomes aware that there is a small child in the property. He places the baby in bed with his passed-out conquests and leaves the scene. Um, He then just... On the spur, um, he moves to a small town in New Hampshire and befriends Billy Freeman. Billy gets him a job and a room to stay in. One night he's visited by a monstrous vision of the woman and small child he had left behind, both now long dead and rotten. She tells him that their bodies haven't been found. That's creepy. It is creepy. I can't remember if this happens in the book or not. I think I remember it, but I thought that it prompted him... It was like a vision of the future more, and he... Did something about to, it. Yeah, but I don't. Yeah. I literally don't know if that's true. I no, can't and I've remember, tried to find out, but with, short um, of rereading the book. Uh, so this is kind of the straw that breaks the camel's back for Danny, um, and it prompts him to ask Billy for help. And with his help, he joins Alcoholics Anonymous. So Dan begins to rehabilitate and soon finds a job at a hospice where there is a cat named Azzy. I love Azzy. Yeah, good old Azzy, who sits on the bed of patients who are about to die. Danny uses his shining to comfort the dying patients who give him the nickname Dr. Sleep. He also begins receiving telepathic communications from Abra Stone, a young girl whose shining is even more powerful than his. Meanwhile, Rose and Crow Daddy, played by Zara McLaren, Love him. You may remember from Fargo and Westworld. Yep. Excellent. Recruit a teenager named Snake by Andy into her cult after observing her ability to telepathically control people. What did you think of this introduction to adult Danny? Um, I think this is the point where I then turn to you, and not that I'm someone who talks in cinemas, but it was a very small screen um, and went, this is so accurate. Yeah, like, you did say that. I, I really... The the bit with the girl and the kids and the money just felt like I was watching the book in my mind's eye. Yeah. You know when you read and you imagine things? that It, it was nailed. It was so good. Um, and I was one of the things I was concerned about was how Ewan McGregor would be able to play Danny Torrance. Yeah. Um, I think he did a great job here. Yeah. Um, I think Snake by Andy. I'd forgotten about Snake by Andy. Me too. And this was this was really cool. And I, I yeah, I think this was a, a great opening, um, kind of gambit or, or opening scene for adult Danny, uh, to to remind us of actually what what all of the events of The Shining can do to somebody. Yeah. Um, you know, it, it was a bit of a kind of, I'm just going to jump on a bus and move to a random town. Yeah. But that is accurate. And and for me, watching this, one of the biggest things I was um, wanting to see is how true to the source material um, we were going to be. And, yeah. And I really liked it. I mean, I think you were pretty much enjoying it as much as I was at this point. I was, yeah. I liked the, the um, section where Crow Daddy and Rose go to recruit Snake by Andy. It's funny because it does come up with the, time but the date doesn't it like yeah the year but i kind of i was looking at the screens so i didn't actually take in what the date was but the way it was in a cinema they're watching casablanca the way snake by andy was dressed the guy that came to meet her i was like is this the past like this could be yeah. like the 50s um and then she mentioned about meeting people on the internet i was like okay no we're not it was it was quite interesting wasn't it and i think the girl that played andy was really good she was really good um she kind of got across that waif and stray vibe mm. also. She's trying to use her powers for good a bit, you know. In a way, yeah. Stop being a nonce. Can't argue with that. You can't really, I no. You really can't. Um, what did you think? I mean, we'd probably get on to 
Ewan McGregor's performance, but you said that you weren't sure when he was cast. I can't really remember the last film I saw Ewan McGregor in. No, I can't. Where's he been? I don't really know. I, I keep because I've been reading loads of stuff about um, about Doctor Sleep. Loads of people keep mentioning Moulin Rouge, and I'm like, that can't be the last thing I saw no. Ewan McGregor in. That would be ridiculous. No. Um, I just I think I've seen him in bits and pieces, but he's not really been at the forefront of my mind. So it was no. quite an interesting choice, I thought, for him. Um, what did you think about Billy? He was not what I... He was not like he was in the book. The kindness is still there. Yeah. Um, but I don't... I believe he's Indian in this, is he? Yeah, I think so. He looks Some Indian. kind of Indian background, yeah. Um, or Southeast Asian in some way. Um, I liked him, though. The kind of tough but fair. And it's it's nice to see Danny reacting to someone like, why are you being nice to me? Yeah. Like, you just don't trust it. Well, no, because he's never had that, has he? You know, no. he spent, you know, uh, Wendy died when he was, what, like 20 or something? Yeah. Um, you know, and his whole life has just been marred by tragedy um, and, you know, fuck ups, basically. Mm. So, I mean, you wouldn't, um, which is, it's, it's totally understandable, but it was really nice to see that character kind of how you wanted it to yeah. be. Yeah. I mean, I it, even in the book, I remember reading, and because it's a Stephen King book, yeah, these people have been kind to him, and you think, what's going to happen? Yeah. What's your motive? You know, either what's your motive or what's going to happen to you yeah. as a result of this kindness? Well, yeah. <laughs> what bad thing is going to happen? And obviously, we will find out. Um, yeah, I think I think he looked... I mean, he didn't look well, Hugh McGregor, in the beginning of it. He was rough as fuck. He actually, when he cleans up later on, he's looking really well. He's, he's growing into his looks, isn't he? Well, I, I always liked him when I was young. He seemed to be around a lot when I was young. Yeah, he you very know, much was. I thought. Um, I, I also thought that the introduction to Abra was great. And I think it's in this set of scenes where you uh, you see her at the birthday party with the yeah. magician and she does the spoons. And I was waiting for that because that's a really big scene in the book. There's other stuff that happens, like she basically as a baby um, predicts 9-11. Which is awful. Why um, didn't she tell anyone, Abra? She couldn't speak yet. Mm. Um, Use your shining. Use your shin. Use the shin. <coughs> but when um, when you saw the spoons all up on the ceiling, I was like, yes! Because um, I wasn't sure how much they would kind of take from that. But I think I think they did a really good job. They did. And it's also nice, like, her parents aren't like, you're a freak, lock her away. They are also supportive. And I mean, they're terrified of her, which is fair. But they help her embrace it yeah and it's just funny how the um when she's like i can do magic and the magician's like yeah whatever like shut up sweetie all right we'll simply go and play with the spoons yeah maybe you should be listening to the kids rather than mm. just belittling them mr magician um so in 2019 we're back we're back in the present day and the true knot are starving Ugh. they plan to abduct a young baseball player named bradley and torture him to death to extract as much steam as they can a teenage abra senses the event and her distress alerts both Dan and Rose. Rose sets her sights on Abra, planning to extract her steam to sustain the cult. Realising that Rose has sensed her and wanting justice for the murdered baseball boy, as she calls him, Abra visits Dan and says that she can track the cult if she can touch Bradley's baseball glove, because one of the uh, crew was putting it on. Yep. Um, Dan insists that she stay away and avoid drawing attention to herself. That night, Rose enters her astral form and successfully enters Abra's mind. However, Abra easily retaliates by entering Rose's mind and injuring her hand. Just a side note on this. What is up with Mike Flanagan and De-gloving. mangling women's hands Horrible. in this film? I'm not having it. Oh, again, there's so Ugh. much focus on the fingers. Um, wounded, Rose returns to her body and sends a true knot to capture Abra. Um, 
quite a lot to touch on on this. It's kind of a bit of a, not a gloss over, but you know, doesn't go into much detail, that synopsis. Um, the scene with the torture and murder of Bradley Trevor, that's created some controversy. Mm-hmm. Um, what did you think of the scene? Do you think it was too explicit? Was it necessary? <sighs> so... I I was going to touch on this a bit in in King Corner around the differences between the book and the film but actually this is much more much more apt. In the book this whole scene with the the kind of murder and torture of Bradley Trevor lasts about a page. Mm. It's not very detailed at all and you know for Stephen King normally he's he can be pretty gruesome but that's not really the tone of Doctor Sleep. Um I found it incredibly uncomfortable to watch. Yes. Um it was pretty rough. Um, I understand. I, I think the the point of of the of, of Flanagan choosing to do this because I think without potentially, and I'm not saying it's okay to show the torture of a murder of children on the screen, um, but potentially as a viewer, if you haven't read the source material, um, it's very difficult to understand how horrifically brutal the true knot are mm. without maybe demonstrating it. I think he might have gone a little too far. Um, it was pretty cruel. Uh, and it was very uncomfortable to watch, but but they are... they they travel around the country murdering children. Yeah. And I think you, you have to you have to make that clear that has to be explicit it probably didn't need to be quite as explicit visually um but i i think it really set the tone now the thing the thing about it is is the problem quote unquote if you can call it a problem is the the actor jacob tremblay it's his performance it's so realistic that's what's horrible what you don't really see anything you don't see like the torture really you don't see the blood you don't really see what they're doing his reaction his, his facial reaction is just it cuts straight through you yeah and that's because he's a fantastic young actor he was in room i don't know if you've seen room i haven't um, but no i did know that brie larson won the uh, oscar for it but he's just yeah something he's not really like a child actor he's just a very good actor that happens to also be a child so it's his performance more than what they show and they obviously want the best performance they can get but apparently it traumatised a lot of the cast and he was just like, yeah, that's fine. But the rest well, of them anything, did not like doing it. And If anything, that's the effect that you probably want from it. So he's, he's probably quite proud of himself. Yeah. I can understand why that would be so challenging. But I don't think it was too gratuitous. I think the the visceral horror that comes from it is from his performance. Yeah. And you're not going to try and dull that. Um, but yeah, it, it showed... It's not just, oh, we're going to go and take your shining. It's like, no, this is how we do it. This is how we extract it. And it's horrible and they have to be stopped. And we don't really have to see that again. No, and we we don't. It's done and dusted. We understand how it works. We didn't have to see it with Violet. That's the centre point of the horror, really. That's the worst it gets. Um, What did you think of Rose entering the astral form? Because I thought that was really beautifully done. I thought it was... Stunning. Very creepy and very effective. Like Rebecca Ferguson is, is she's amazing. Yeah, she really um, is, and she really embodies that whole kind of like. Uh, and this is going to be the wrong word, and I apologise, but very kind of like gypsy woman, yeah, fortune teller. You know, I'm I'm at one with the world, um, and yet I murder children for their steam. Um, but that she is ethereal almost. Yeah, she's very sensual. Yeah, very much. And I, she's and I quite think... she's quite sexy, really. Like, yeah, they don't make it explicit, but. You know, yeah. she's got that charisma. She certainly has. Um, and I, when she entered Abra's mind, I wasn't sure how they were going to portray this. And I thought that Flanagan did an amazing job. Yeah. I think it was... It's quite creepy as well. It was little creepy. It was uncomfortable. Dummy girl. 
type thing. Yeah, it was it was all really odd, but I think both of them did an amazing job, and um, and that whole like her being one upped by Abra, yeah, was brilliant. Her realization of oh god, I'm actually trapped. I can't get yeah. out of this. I mean, this might be the most powerful shin. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that has existed for well i think rose even says this for you know more than 50 years yeah possibly ever um did you know rebecca ferguson is swedish i did not because i googled her i was like she's huh. great and the only thing i've seen her in is the greatest showman so apologies That's to rebecca ferguson <laughs> um yeah because i did think her accent when she was talking to violet i was like oh she's irish and then it kind of went away it really and then it came back again and i feel like maybe when she came has back the shine forth. She, when she takes the steam, maybe she goes more Irish. I don't know. Who but knows? It's a fantastic performance. And I think a lot of the successes of the film hinge on her. Yeah. Because as villains, in the book, I mean, the hat and everything, it could have gone a bit silly. Like, her look. But it, it's they're very effective. Her and Zahn McLaren, um They're brilliant. Crow Daddy. It's very, they're very effective villains. Yeah. And they work really well together as well, I think. it's um, And it's not too corny. No, it's it's not corny, really. And... It, I think it just worked, and without viable villains, it your, your film's gonna fail. Your film's gonna fail. It's gonna flop, and they—that's one thing they got really right. You invest in the right um, actors for the role, yeah. and success will be yours partially. Okay, we're back in. What is the name of the town that he goes to? I know Abra lives in, in New Aniston because I think Jennifer Aniston. Um, which is New Hampshire. Okay, so yeah. we're back in New Hampshire. Azzy the cat leads Dan to an empty room where he has another visit from Halloran. Scary at first because you don't know who it's going to yeah. be. Dark figure. But it's Halloran. Um, and he instructs him to protect Abra. Dan tells Billy about The Shining and they travel to the murder scene of Bradley Trevor and exhume his body, horrible, to retrieve the glove. I actually found that scene more traumatising yeah. than the torture scene. That was quite... When they kept in, I was like, right, you know it's him. You don't need to uncover his face because you think, you know, unfortunately... We've seen him be buried. Children do get murdered. Yeah. And when they're discovered, that's probably quite realistic. So it's oh, it was pretty yeah, horrific. That for me was worse, I have to admit. It was, it was also quite horrible. But good, because you don't want to not feel anything when you're seeing something oh, no. like that because it's awful. It's a horrible, horrible thing. True. So they retrieve the glove um, and then they go to Abra's house where they recruit her father, Dave, man like Dave, and devise a plan. Using an astral projection of Abra as bait, Dan and Billy lure the cult members of the True Knot to a local campsite and shoot most of them dead. Although Snake by Andy telepathically manipulates Billy into killing himself before she dies. What do you think about that bit? Um... This was I, that annoyed me. Yeah, that that was really irritating, and I didn't think it was necessary. Um, I thought the astral projection was genius. Yes, I was really impressed with that. And I don't remember that from the book. Yeah, I don't think it happens in the okay. book. I don't think this scene happens because that's not how most of them die. No, it's not. Yeah, you. I'm sure well, you'll I'm get onto that. Tell me more later. Um, but I, th- I, I think they actually did a really good job of it because I didn't see the twist coming. I wasn't sure what was happening, where, where, like, what Abra was doing, and yeah. maybe that's because I'm dim. Um, but I thought it was really well done, and I actually, I really felt the pain of seeing Billy turn that gun on himself, like yeah. how Danny must have felt, and it was just, uh, yeah. I suppose, I mean, spoiler warning, doesn't happen in the book like that. It's one way of getting rid of Billy in a way because he's been involved this far. So how else is he going to suddenly not Disappear. be involved? Yeah. Because it, it does kind of rattle along a little bit at this point. Um, so Dan realises one of the true not is missing from the pack that they have ambushed. Dun, dun, dun. 
Mm. And like magic, Crow Daddy appears in Abra's home and abducts her, drugging her to suppress her shine. We learn that he's also murdered her father, Dave, in the process. Brutal. Dan communicates with Abra, who allows him to possess her temporarily and force Crow Daddy to crash his car, killing him and freeing Abra. So this is quite an action-heavy sequence. It all kind of kicks off really quickly. A lot um, happens. Yeah, what did yeah. you think? Um, so this is very, very different from the book, um, but I think they did it quite well. I, I, I really... It, that scene in the car when Crow Daddy has abducted Abra and Dan kind of takes over her body... Um, I thought that was really good. Yeah. Um, the I can't remember her name, but the girl that plays Abra is brilliant. Yeah, she's really... Again, I think the acting um, is one of the things that saves the film because in the book, she's a bit wet. So is Danny. I, don't, I think Danny's a bit of a non-character. He's more yeah. of a cipher for everything to happen to him. And she's she could have been annoying because it's a child actor who's got these these powers. And initially... She's really good. Initially, she was a bit irritating. Um, but she really came into her own. And it seems like this where, you know, this is not you and McGregor playing this scene. This is her. Yeah. And she was amazing. Yeah, she's I really, very good. I was so hooked and wanting to see what would happen. And because it's different from the book, I didn't know what was going to happen. And, um, and it was genius. Like, you know, you think you're immortal. You're not wearing a seatbelt, crashing into that tree. It's yeah. just absolutely brilliant. Yeah. I, I thought... It was really well done, and if you're going to make some changes, then and Flanagan's done this really well because that's a great way to kind of move the story. Along, yeah, I, I think, think it. I think it developed the plot well, and it was action without being too much. Um, it wasn't gratuitous. No, and it got us to where we need to go. Where we where we need to go in Mike Flanagan's view. Um, so yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was effective. Yeah. So while Dan and Abra reunite, Rose consumes the cult's remaining stockpile of sting healing her wounds and vowing revenge for their deaths. Dan decides to return to the abandoned Overlook. Why? Believing it will be as dangerous for Rose as it is for him and Abra. Why would you think that? I mean, we'll get on to I her. mean, he's not wrong, but, you know. But she's, male- she's malevolent, so what? Anyway, we're not going to argue with the plot. <laughs> um, he starts up the hotel's boiler and explores the building, awakening it in the process. Dan revisits the room was where his father, Jack, influenced by the Overlook, attempted to murder him and Wendy. At the hotel bar, Dan is offered whiskey by the ghost of his father, Jack, who presents himself as a bartender named Loy. They both discuss what drives a person to alcoholism, the ghosts of the past and troubles of the present, while alcohol becomes the medicine. Lloyd insists Dan take the drink, but he refuses. I am... Um... Now, there you could very much say that this set of scenes is just box ticking some shining stuff. Yes, and it is. Um, and I'm not even going to bother talking about that part of it. But Lloyd slash Jack. Mm. I mean, Lloyd the bartender is is a huge character. He's mm-hmm. a huge. He's basically like the the face of the Overlook in the book. Um, and what's really interesting is, so King has said a number of times that actually Doctor Sleep, predominantly as a story, is not about ghosts and power, it's about the dangers of alcoholism. Yeah. Um, and he talks very much about that. I mean, King himself has been a, a victim of, of addiction, or a, however you want to describe it. Um, and I thought that the scene between Danny and Lloyd was great. I really liked it. I Not so much the kind of, oh, is that some kind of weird CGI'd version of um, yeah. Jack Torrance, but more the, the conversation and the way that it brought you back as a reader to that character of, of Lloyd and the Overlook and, and, and what it tries to do, the malevolence of, of that power. I understand why they did it, but I think it kind of killed the momentum dead. 
And I think the fact that there were so many shining references, they painted themselves into a corner where they're going to have to have someone dress up as Jack Nicholson. <clears throat> Excuse me. I think it was um, Henry Thomas, who is a long-time collaborator with Mike Flanagan. He oh, okay. plays the father in Gerald's Game, and he's also the father in Haunting of Hill House. Oh, yes, I know who you mean. And he's Elliot in uh, E.T., Let Us Never Forget. Never forget. So I, under- I think for me, at this point, I really care about Danny. I'm afraid. Not in a mean way, just in a, I want to see what happens to the true knot. I want to see what happens with Abra. Yeah. I understand he needs to face his demons, but then when we see what happens in the end, did you really need to face your demons? Because we'll get to it. I suppose at this point you don't really know, do you? And, you know, it is a stupid idea to go back to the Overlook because, let's be honest, it's a fucking awful, evil place that's probably going to end up with loads of people dead. Um, I I thought the, the kind of... the the series of references and this happens again later on was a bit shit. It's too much. You're too, relying too much on someone else's work. But is that box ticking for people who watch this film because they're fans of Kubrick Shining? Probably, but really, the the book stands on its own. So make a film about the book. Don't make a film about a sequel to The Shining. Yeah. Stanley Kubrick's film that Stephen King hated. As much as it's a horror classic, you're aligning yourself to a film you're never going to be as good at. Yeah, true. So it's a fair point. Yeah, it just for me this slowed it all down, and I was, this is when I started to think this doesn't need to be in it. That's because of my lack of attachment to Danny as a character. I think because I yeah. don't necessarily care about him having closure. Which is probably where we differ, Dad. Because I, I really, really connected with the character of Danny in the book, but in the film, no. Well, for me, in the film, yeah, fair enough. He's just quite blank i connected more with abra than danny and that's nothing against you mcgregor's performance because i think danny is blank he's better in the book because i did care about him but in this it's just a bit yeah stuff's just happening and you're you're not an active agent in it yeah i get your point okay fair but yeah that's that's just my opinion everyone's got them um once rose arrives at the hotel dan and abra confront her by pulling her into the astral plane they love the astral plane yep they're all over the astral plane these days. It's good though. Yeah, I mean it works. Um, in the form of the Overlook's hedge maze in the snow. Ugh. After a failed attempt to trap her in one of the boxes, Dan instructs Abra to flee before being overpowered by Rose. So, Danny, you instructed her to flee. To where? To the snow? To the to, snowy to the wastes of Colorado. Of nowhere. She will freeze to death. Just like Man Your Daddy Jack did. Um, so he is overpowered by Rose as she drains his steam and enters his mind. Says his steam tastes like whiskey. Dan releases the Overlook's ghosts from his boxes who surround and kill Rose. However, the ghost possessed Dan who begins to hunt for Abra, axe in hand. <laughs> Just like his daddy, as you said. Limping as well. Yep. When she manages to momentarily free him from the ghosts, he tells her to flee the hotel again. Um, struggling with possession, Dan returns to the boiler room, which becomes engulfed in flames. In his last moment, Dan sees a vision of himself as a child being embraced by his mother, Wendy. Abra watches helplessly as the hotel burns down. Bit of a homage, isn't it? Homage. Homage to oui. the original novel of The Shining. Yes. Um, I don't know how it should I be, feel. really be an homage to the Doctor Sleep book, but yes. <laughs> well, you know, the thing is, is they've had... Flanagan has chosen to build this film around the Kubrick film. Yes. Uh, in, in which, and we will talk about this in a minute, the, the Overlook still stands. I, I quite liked the 
when he released all of the Overlook ghosts and they just descended on Rose. Yeah, that I was thought effective. that was clever. I thought it was good. I wasn't really expecting it. It's a good way to kill her because she's so powerful. You kind of think, how else how do is this you happen? But yeah, multiple shining eating ghosts would work. Yeah, I, I, I it was, it was. It was interesting. Um, I'm not sure how I felt about um, the kind of last vision of him and his mother. Yeah. It felt a bit... uh... I suppose it's just a happy memory for him before he dies. Well, yeah, and I suppose it comes back to when he's, you know, helping people um, pass away and they have their their happy memories. Yeah, make them feel good before they die. Being his own doctor sleep. Yeah, he's putting himself to sleep. So sometime later... Abra talks to Dan's spirit, assuring each other that they will both be okay before he disappears. Abra's mother, Lucy, adjusts to her daughter's powers, including a communication from the spirit of her deceased husband, Dave. Abra is confronted by the ghost of the rotting woman from the Overlook and prepares to lock her up, just as Danny did. Overuse of the rotting woman, I would say. I hate that for two reasons, because A, it's fucking horrible and creepy but the more you see it the less horrible it gets it loses its impact i think it's a bit lazy it is lazy i would have preferred it if what they'd done is used i don't know crow daddy or slate by andy or yeah rose the hat as her demon that she needs to lock away not yeah not the same one from the over yeah and i suppose what they're trying to do here is show that abra is the new danny because you know bye bye danny torrance but yeah i didn't i did not like the ending which is why it knocked it down for me yeah and i think obviously the rotting woman is the most grotesque of the ghosts but when you first see her with the the curtain drawing back like at the beginning of the film it's like oh scary and but then when it's yeah, I mean, we it's see her what, like, for, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm, she doesn't even, she just looks like an old woman now, like, I'm not even, I'm not even that scared of her. No. Um, so the, we've, we've sort of touched on this, but I'm sure we're going to get into it fully. The ending does differ significantly from the book. Did you consider it an improvement on the book's ending or not? No, I thought it was, um, in comparison to the ending of the book, I thought it was crap. Yes, I agree. Uh, to be honest and, and I, I really enjoyed this film if I hadn't read the book I think I would have loved it yeah but the book is it ends so brilliantly I I would take the, the king ending any day why do you think they didn't do that because it's not even that complex an ending it's not like oh it doesn't make any sense I understand obviously the way they get here with killing all the rest of the true not honestly I think they're setting up for another film I think they're setting up for an Abra, yeah. So there are, and I read a couple of things which has kind of cemented this for me, is that um, there are a couple of hints and a couple of quotes that happen towards the end of the film from from Abra that link to the stand. Mm. And there's a Mm. lot of stuff that that hints to the Dark Tower or links to the Dark Tower throughout the film, and I think they're setting up for something else. And I don't like that. I may be totally wrong, but that's what I feel. So by kind of making Abra just like Danny at the end it feels like they're setting up for something else and I and that I don't like no that's that would be annoying because you're meant to just adapt this book you don't need to try and make it a tie into no. other films just to make money what mm. about you Liz? yeah no I didn't I when we were watching it because I couldn't fully remember the ending I did think I was like he doesn't die and just the fact that he voluntarily went there it's just it didn't really make any sense and all the going through the house and 
a one yeah. abra like you brought her here what did you think was going to happen if anything, don't bring her there it is just gonna, nonsense if things go wrong which they have because you're a bit of a melt what's going to happen to her and i she's think she's going to freeze to death i think the problem is um it, it, is that flanagan has tried to adapt both the film and the book Mm. Um, or tried to create a sequel that, that is yeah. from both the film and the book and the problem with that is that there are some major differences in the storylines and I think that the ending becomes a problem because ultimately they both end up at the site of the Overlook Hotel and we'll talk about this in more detail but like it doesn't work because you're trying to do both things and yeah. that's probably because we've read the book yeah I think if we hadn't and if you if you were the kind of person who saw this having just seen The Shining and not read it and just watching Doctor Sleep and not read the book I think it would be a totally different perspective it's true um, but unfortunately or, or fortunately for us because we got to read it uh, the, the, the the fact that we know what happens in Doctor Sleep and we can see the differences means that this ending falls really flat for me yeah it does I agree shame yeah i mean it's decent overall but i did think and this is where the lemp comes in the last half hour yeah it was padded out and then it ended it like this and you think well it was it was padded out with shiny easter eggs yeah just walking Not around easter the eggs, overlook I mean, i'm like this isn't that, this isn't that fun this isn't that enjoyable which is a shame because i think it built up really well until there and mm. it remained faithful um to a point until the end and then it, it wasn't even like a good change it wasn't worth the change. It's a shame, isn't it? It is a shame. Um, but that's it for... Is there anything else you want to say about the, the film itself? Um, uh, yeah, I mean, I think I'll echo what you said, is that 75% of this film I thought was excellent. Mm. Um, and and the, the last part of it, the reason that I've given it a four blueberry is because I do think that um, Flanagan's written himself into a hole here. Yeah. And this is the only way he could see out of it. And I do understand why he has chosen to do that. Um so for me it still stands up predominantly as a very good film i think yeah you could you could make the ending better or you could cut half an hour of fucking shining revisiting out of yes it. you could um but but overall it, it is not a bad job and i think for anyone who hasn't read the book 100 percent is a brilliant film i enjoyed it as well because i'm a bit of a wimp with scary films um but as it as it went on and i realized it was being quite faithful to the book I realised it wasn't just going to be jump scares and it is very story based it's very story driven yeah it is and that's what I enjoyed and you don't often see that in horror films a lot a lot of the the modern ones not trying to sound like anyone's dad but you know these sort of popcorn blockbusters it's are very like you jump uh, 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 yeah yeah rather than telling a story and at least this told a story and it went a bit incoherent at the end but it was had a clear arc and it wasn't just about freaking you out it was about telling a story and yeah. the story itself is creepy and scary so it succeeded there but yeah i think overall it's a success but it's a shame that the ending fell as, fell as flat as it did i concur lucy okay well have you got anything for me from king corner oh yes i have wow do you want to take it away yes innocent, Red. just like everybody else here the house is burning hi georgie i'm afraid i have a tendency to turn up the heat Red rum, red rum. Creepy Gary, creepy Gary. You flunked door. Hello, welcome back to King Corner. Woo. Um, so there's quite a lot of differences between the film and the book. Yes. Uh, and you and I both know most of them, so we're going to talk through them. Okay. 
Uh, one of the major differences between the book and the film... Flillum? Flillum. Blah, 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 blah. One of the major differences between the book and the film uh, is the Overlook Hotel. So in Stanley Kubrick's The Shining, the Overlook Hotel still stands. Yes. Uh, Jack Torrance freezes to death and that's how it ends. In the book, Jack actually blows up the hotel with the overpressurized boilers. So we do get a nice nod to this, which I mentioned earlier, that's homage, uh, where Danny does that at the end of Doctor Sleep. Yeah. But what, what it does is it means that the whole film, uh, Flanagan's film, it is built around the premise that the Overlook still stands. Yes. And it doesn't. So the ground that the Overlook actually stood on in the book is now a campground that's run by the True Knot, which is pretty interesting. I suppose it doesn't really matter because they travel around anyway. Um, but it makes sense, like, if you're talking about the psychic energy that yeah. the Overlook has, then yes, it's a great place for them to go. <laughs> yeah, it does. And, and actually, it makes more sense about why they go back to that ground. And, mm. I, and I suppose for kind of crowd-pleasing, it makes yeah it makes it a bit different doesn't it yeah and but what's interesting is that obviously like we said the um film doctor sleep is heavily influenced by film shining yeah and as you say in the film um the he jack dies by freezing to death and in the book he blows up the hotel yeah but then in the film of doctor sleep like um Danny is inspired to blow up the hotel. Yeah. And it's kind of implied by Abra, like the first place he went was a boiler room. It's like, but his dad didn't even do that. So No, it was an accident. I mean, it didn't, didn't his happen dad, on purpose. The, his dad in the film, which is what presumably this universe lives in, didn't do that. So why would it even be relevant? Yeah. That's that's like one of those weird little inconsistencies. Yeah, and it makes it a bit more challenging to follow, I think, especially if you know the two different stories. Um, there's also another like pretty stark difference in the, uh, in the film. Dick Halloran is stabbed by Jack and dies. Yeah, I mean, I have to say, I haven't mentioned this yet, a lot of my knowledge of The Shining now is coloured by the Simpsons Halloween episode. <laughs> I cannot stress enough how much I just think comes from that. Because does he get killed in the, with an axe? I can't even remember. Because I, I know Willie does in The <laughs> Simpsons. <laughs> I'm not 100% sure. Jack Torrance kills him. I, I think he either stabs him or axes him. One or the other. I mean, to be honest, we Simpsons all know this from The Shining. It, it's a croquet mallet. Yeah. Not not an axe anyway. It's just confused things even more. Um, so what that does, I think, in the book is it makes it very different. Because at the beginning where we see um, Danny being helped by Dick to... Um, kind of put these ghosts into boxes and all of that kind of thing happens with Dick as a ghost visiting him through his shining. Um, So Wendy gets a bit confused. Whereas in the book, Wendy actually calls Dick and gets him to come down to help Danny. So it's a whole different kind of scenario, which is, um, I don't know how much it impacts the film, but it was a shame for me because I love Dick. Yeah. That's an awful phrase to say on a podcast. <laughs> Fuck me. Oh, God, that's even worse. Uh, I love Dick Halloran, the character. Yes, he's um, a good character. Yeah, so so that I think that was a shame for me. Um, so when they have that conversation where um, uh, Dick turns up as a ghost in the um, nursing home, mm. uh, what actually happens in the book, do you remember? No. So, I mean, he inhabit Dick actually inhabits... He is dead at this point. He's just died because he's old. Um, he actually inhabits the body of a recently deceased patient. Creepy. Which I think is more creepy. That's much more creepy. Yeah. Corpse giving you advice. Hello, it's Dick. <laughs> it doesn't do that. I've come to teach you some things. Um, so, we miss a few characters 
in yeah, the film. Which is understandable. For me, it's, it's a actually, very long book. It's kind of neither here nor there for me. So there are three main characters that we don't um, we don't come across. So, well, two, but I'll explain why I said three in a minute. So Casey Kingsley is uh, Dan's AA sponsor. Okay. Um, and he's actually quite a big character in that because he's really, you know, that you get a lot of his recovery through AA and a lot of calls and all that kind of stuff. Mm. Um, and, and the the roles of some of the other characters then reduce. So uh, Dr. John Dalton, who runs the AA meetings, do you remember him losing his watch yep. in the film? That does happen in the book. Um, but actually it turns out he's also Abra's doctor. It's weird that they live so sort of semi-close to each other, yeah. like, as far as America goes. It's quite a, a sort of small environment, isn't it? Um, and he actually gets involved in protecting Abra alongside Dan and Billy Freeman. Mm. So what happens in the film, I think, is that Billy essentially takes on all three roles. Which makes sense. It does make sense, but then they're just all gotten rid of. Yeah. Which I think is a bit of a shame. Yeah, and they don't do... You're probably going to come on to it, but they don't... Um cover that he can see people they do at the end but he you don't see him seeing dying people with flies on them because oh, that's another yeah. way that he helps by being like maybe you should go and get checked up maybe and it's quite so it's well, quite man. disturbing in the book i remember it, it's described quite horribly like vividly yeah it is it? vivid yeah. so i i i thought they might have been able to do something like that but obviously they took a different route which i can understand but it was a good aspect of the, the book, I, I think I they still could have included it yeah, I mean, rather than just doing what they did with... I mean, they could have had Danny seeing Billy with the flies and being like, is it Billy that he sees with the flies? Yeah, I the think book? so, because yeah. he's got lung cancer or something, isn't yeah. he? Yeah. Um, I think he could have died that way. Didn't need to yeah. kill himself. Didn't need to be shot in the yeah, head. Yeah, so that was something that I, I I distinctly was like, that's missing. And, and there are things... Like, I mean, it is, like you said, it's a massive book, Doctor Sleep. It's huge, so is The Shining. Um, and there are certain things that stick with you from it. And, and, you know, that's one of them. And, and for me, actually, this is another of them. So um, in the film, you'll remember, dear listeners, Abra mentions uh, Momo, her great-grandmother. Yes. Yeah, oh, yeah. I Momo. remember that in the book. Um, who literally is mentioned twice and that's it. Right? Yeah. In the book, she's actually a pretty major character here. She's kind of like the Dick Halloran almost to She almost replaces Abra. him. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of guide which you need. I know Danny obviously is Abra's guide, but she, it's nice that she has that in her family as well. Mm. And if I'm right in saying, and I'm pretty sure I am, um, in the film, obviously, Danny unleashes, unleashes, uh, you are, you're released from your lease, uh, unleashes the ghost of the Overlook to kill Rose the Hat. In the book, Danny releases the toxic steam from Momo because she's dying from cancer. So, yeah, she take, he takes her steam, if I remember correctly, and she is dying, like, as she dies. Yeah. And then releases it, and they're all like, whoa, free steam, but it's not good steam. No. It's cancerous steam. It is not good and steam. And that's what kills them, which I think is quite cool. Rather than just shooting everyone. Very clever. Um, but there's another big reveal in the novel. Uh, so it turns out that Abra's grandfather... Yeah. Jack Torrance. Yeah. I'm glad they left that out. That's yeah. dumb, I think. It's, um, it's a bit corny. They do like, fucking linked. No. So it turns out that Uncle Dan really is half Uncle Dan in the book. Yeah. Didn't need that. Dumb. Um, but you do have a bit of a nod to it by, you know, him being called Uncle Dan. She's like, yeah, I'll just call you Uncle Dan. Like, okay, that's like, fine. Okay. Um, a couple of other little differences. So Andy's character in the book is uh, really not as powerful as she is in the film. She can basically... I only make people fall asleep. Yeah. Oh, so can't snake you make bite me Andy. fall asleep. Yeah, to be fair, that'd be great. Be really good. Um both Danny and Abra's dad don't die in the book. Yeah. 
but they are pretty brutally killed off in the film. Why have they done that? I, I don't know if it was necessary for Abba's dad to die. So in the book, um, Crow Daddy just drugs him. Yeah. Which is fine. Like, only, why not just drug they, both of them? I'm like, not trying to defend, defend the um, true not, but they want steam from Kids of the Shining. They're not like mass murderers want to go around killing loads of people. They just want what they, they want. They just want to live for as long as they can looking beautiful. With doing like, what off. they need to do to do that. So yeah, I didn't think he needed to die. He could have snuck in and got her and he wouldn't have even known. He could have used his mind. He could have used his shin, Crow Daddy. Yeah, come on, Crow Daddy. And her dad. And then, so... yeah. And I think that would have what that would have done actually in the film was was show more how how powerful Crow Daddy is because yeah. he does have pretty strong powers. Yeah, what even are his powers in the in the film? I don't remember. He's just like has a cool hat. He doesn't really do much. No, he's just like a good right hand man. But we don't see him. He can trace the uh, steamers, I guess. Like human GPS. Yeah, yeah, that's one thing. Um, so we talked about Jack Torrance's spirit in the film, masquerading as Lloyd the bartender. Mm. Um, what do you remember Lloyd like in the book? In I this scene, don't remember. I'm do you not? So I re- I remember him being um, like the face of the Overlook and being pretty cruel. So I think this was quite accurate. But what about um, what about the presence of Jack Torrance in Doctor Sleep? So from what I remember, he's actually not that shitty because obviously he's not in the overlook yeah he is trying he's trying to help isn't yeah he? he's kind of he can't do anything but he's sort of supporting danny yeah through the fight which i kind of think is is a i don't know what i prefer if i'm honest between the two things there i really I think, don't know i think they're both a little bit weak i mean i didn't, didn't really like how they did it in the film but the book for him to sort of be in the background like go danny go danny go after everything he did he's got like, pom-poms did, and everything did he even need to did he even need to be in it? I think because it is a sequel to The Shining, maybe King and um, Flanagan didn't think it could be, it could stand on its own, but I think it could have. Like with the story, you don't necessarily need to be like, oh, Overlook, oh, Jack Torrance. Like, the it's story is strong enough mm. without it. Um, in the book, though, the true not aren't strong enough. They're almost killed off by measles. Measles is bad. Measles is coming back. So yeah, also, make sure you vaccinate. MMR. Um, I mean, it's not it's not a great part of the book, um, but when they uh, take Baseball Boy, when they take his steam, they also yeah. get infected by measles. Yeah. Um, which, and I just watched the first episode and the second one is tonight from the day we're recording of the BBC adaptation of The War of the Worlds. Is it any good? Uh, actually, yes, it's quite good. Okay. I'm quite enjoying it. Um, good cast. You might like it. Uh, but this is very much like, you know, the... The, the aliens in the War of the Worlds are killed off by the common cold. Um, it wasn't a huge part of it, but I thought it was quite interesting to mention. Yeah. Because it, it's a slightly more clever version of, of what's going on. And it also shows that doing this is not risk-free because getting people steam no. is not just guaranteeing a good lot. Who knows what you're going to get. Yeah. Um, and the same with Momo's steam. Yeah. Momo. Links. Well. Yeah. There we go. Um, so that's most of the differences, mm-hmm. uh, apart from the ones that we probably mentioned while we've been talking along. Fancy some Easter eggs? Yes, I would love an Easter egg. Right, I am not going to at any point mention the original Shining film Easter eggs because I'm bored of them. I mean, they're not Easter eggs because they're no. blatant. So, yes. Yeah. Uh, so who plays Grandpa Flick, Lucy? Um, don't know his name, but it's the Bone Man from uh, yeah. Gerald's Game. He's in a few things. The Moonshine Man is Carol Strickland. Okay, very tall. Um, so again, also worked with with Mike Flanagan before. Yeah, uh, and uh, here he appears again. Yeah, he's got looking a very, less creepy. 
Oh, he's so quite creepy. S- slightly less creepy. He's not as creepy as in Gerald's game because he's made to look like a monster. But Mama, he's a very... Man. I mean, he's Lurch, isn't he, in um, Adam's family? Yeah, I think so. So he's very distinctive looking and he, he fits well in this. And when he dies, we didn't really mention that. Well, we didn't mention it. It's not really that important. He, look, he does go quite creepy looking. When really he's cycling. creepy, but I was also... I felt quite traumatised by the loss of Grandpa Flick. Yeah. Which is weird. I mean, I got over it quite Child quickly. murderer, so yeah. I'll well, allow him to die. Um, so you, uh, you've you already mentioned this one, but uh, Mike, Mike Flanagan uh, recently adapted Gerald's game, also did The Haunting of Hill House, yep. uh, and decided to include another degloving scene. Not even going to... Not even going to hold oh, on to that. It's always women. <laughs> um, there is a very strange nod uh, here to one of the short stories of Stephen King's that I'm about to read in a new collection, Children of the Corn. Ooh, creepy. Very creepy. Uh, so, Baseball Boy gets picked up right by Field of Corn. Yeah, I mean, do have a, do have a question. Maybe our American listeners can kind of expand on this. And let us know via email. He is star player, baseballer. Yeah. Don't know what you call him. Batter. Um, why are his parents not there to drive him home? That's a very good point. Why are they not there watching him for a start? That's what I think. I feel and like... secondly taking him home. If American sports movies have taught me nothing else, and they haven't, it's that <laughs> being very good at sports makes you very popular. I didn't think he'd be left to walk home on his own. That's no. how that annoyed me, just that his parents would be so negligent. That hadn't occurred not to me. Not just his parents. So the coach. The coach knows he's brilliant. Anyone. The people are going, oh, yeah, it's almost like he can read their mind. But you're going to let this boy walk home alone when he's that precious to the team. And also, he's like eight. Yeah, why isn't the coach driving him home? Yeah, pretty shitty, isn't it? That Mm, could have prevented a very horrible incident. (sighs) Learn. Learn some lessons, people. Um, So we get a lot of hints to the Dark Tower series. Uh, Little Easter eggs here. We get some names, some characters. I won't list them all because I stopped reading the Easter eggs because I haven't finished the Dark Tower series and I don't want to spoil it for myself. That's very fair. So um, anyone else, you can you can go and Google that. It's um, all very obvious. Now, final Easter egg that I really like, and it's not a King Easter egg, but it is a horror movie Easter egg. What is the street that Abra lives on, Lucy? Don't know. And Aniston Street. Aniston's no. just in it. A she lot. lives on Elm Street, oh, and she had a nightmare on Elm Street. That you she did. Say. Ah. That's quite a nice little. I quite nod. like that. I didn't notice it at all. I'll horror egg. I googled that and I found it. Um, but I love it. Fair. Good one. Um, and that's all your eggs. If I've missed any, um, then please do let us know because I love an Easter egg. Uh, just don't spoil anything I haven't read yet. Uh, you can email us at fancriticalpodcast at gmail.com. Yes, get in touch and let us know about the sports as well. Do good players get lifts home? Yeah, do. And if they don't, why not? Yeah. We need to know. It's very important. There they go. Well, That's I think King that... Corner for you, Luce. King Corner wrapped up. I think that just about does it for us here today. Yep, I reckon Doctor so. Sleep. Anyone who's got any opinions about the film or anything they want to tell us, what they thought, what they spotted that we didn't, or uh, or any other major differences between book and film, do let us know. Uh, I've mentioned the email, but you can also get us on our socials. It's at fancriticalpod on Twitter, fan underscore critical on Instagram, and fancritical on Facebook. We love hearing your feedback, and we will respond promptly, should you wish to contact us. Yes. Um, thanks for hosting these. That's all right. Thank you for coming. Thank you for thank you for coming to your own house. Thank you for having well, me round. Thank you for drinking <laughs> corner. Thank you for taking me to see uh, Doctor Sleep. You're most welcome, my love. What a treat! Thanks, everyone. Bye. Bye. Bye.